0: what's up everybody welcome back to the building efficiency podcast presented by Nenny and associates i'm your host jim Schaefer. now if this is your first time tuning in Nenny and associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry hence why we named the podcast the way that we did simply put we help our clients find the right talent each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds how they got started and where they see the industry heading we also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 50, hard to believe we've done 50 episodes, uh, we sit down with Jose Ramos, who is a program director with MIT. We unpack Jose's background and discuss how he really is at the forefront of uh, cutting-edge technology, research and development, and how it intersects with the private sector. It's really a neat conversation there. We, of course discuss what jose wants his lasting legacy to be and this is advice that i think we can all take with us be sure to stick around to the end to hear that now if you haven't done so already be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes this is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening so if you're one of those people who are streaming the episodes i urge you to consider hitting that download button instead and if you enjoy this episode please share it and leave a five-star review now we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between jose and i so let's drop in hey everyone welcome back to the building efficiency podcast today we're sitting down with jose ramos who is a program director with mit jose welcome to the show good to, good to talk to you again yeah, we've known each other for a little while now, and I know you've, you've landed here at, at MIT, and we were just talking before we hit record. You're going to tell everyone about what you're doing, what you're up to here at MIT, because it sounds mm-hmm. like it's a really unique and special program that you're a part of. But before we do that, let's rewind the clock, tell our audience about your background, kind of where you grew up, how you got started in the industry.
1: Okay, great. All right, well, uh, so I am. Um, uh, I was born in, in Puerto Rico. and uh, spent my childhood uh, between Puerto Rico and Costa Rica. So my my native language is Spanish, which actually I'll touch back on that because that's an important thing. And uh, I went to college uh, here in Boston over at at MIT. I studied mechanical engineering. And uh, unlike many of my my colleagues, my my classmates who went into finance and other things, even after getting an engineering degree, I've been an engineer my entire career. Very proud of that. Uh, I graduated with a, a Uh, degree that that focused on energy as a matter of fact and uh, then I started working really uh, I I think I have a a typical progression in terms of the the, the beginning of the career being very much the nuts and bolts of engineering you know uh, plans and specs and drawings and and construction and and so that then moved on to uh, really focusing on energy and energy conservation right away. Actually, my first job was power generation, but really retrofitting plants to make them more efficient. And then moving on to an MEP, I started working with ESCOs at that point. Uh, and then I actually jumped into the, the ESCO world You know, for about a decade. Uh, and that was that a was great uh, experience because it covered every technology and management when it comes to buildings. You know, building efficiency is what, what ESCOs are all about, and, but you know, not focusing on one particular area, but just everything. And then I, I received, after working about a decade with this the company, an ESCO, one of the main ESCOs, and I received this phone call from this guy. And it turned out to be a fantastic opportunity. And it was this transition into kind of the next stage of my career, which is really on the, on the R&D side of things, on the innovation and, and digital transformation, which is where everything is going. And that even eventually led to uh, me coming back to MIT uh, and being a program director in the Industrial Liaison Program, which is uh, it's, it's an old program. It's been around since 1948. And it com- connects industry to MIT and vice versa, and startups as well. And what's, what's fascinating about this, this part of my career now is that you know, given the background I have, the experiences I have, I get involved with all kinds of conversations in all different industries. Uh, so it's kind of an, an analogous to the ESCO work where, where you deal with just every technology imaginable, except now it's even more more uh, encompassing uh, because it includes you know pharma, biotech um, and and other you know kind of cutting edge technologies. and really it's just it's, it, you definitely have to have the background, the technical background to be able to have these conversations. but now, I'm really talking big picture. Uh, you know, what companies are saying. Uh, we sit at meetings and they'll be saying, we need to be carbon neutral by this date, you know, and uh, we need to be plastic free by 2030. Uh, and we're talking big companies, some of the biggest companies in the world. So it really is almost like an ex, it really is truly an extension of what I did before. Uh, and uh, and my colleagues, uh, similar to similarly to to me, they their their career has has included a, uh, a significant amount of work in industry because otherwise you just wouldn't be able to to have the conversations that you need to have. And so here I am. Yeah, yeah. All right. So
0: a lot to unpack there. I, I love that. So before we we talk about some of these big initiatives, because I am curious about that. I want I wanted to go back. You mentioned something to get, at the beginning. You got your degree in mechanical engineering. Some of your other Classmates went into finance or some other disciplines, but you went the energy route. What prompted you? What drew you to the energy field in the first place?
1: Simply my personal commitment to improving the planet. Really, that's been the guiding principle in my career. Uh, I, I cannot uh, do something, let's say, as a career that that does not have something relatively tangible. Not to. Uh, uh, um, um, diminish the value of of all the you know people who work in finance and banking et cetera et cetera. But that, but to me dollars and cents just are not my goal at all. You know my goal has to be maybe a little tangible, more tangible. And then to me to see a project implemented, to see solutions implemented, and actually see them happen, uh, and and see the impact that they have on on energy conservation, on water conservation, on making the the, the planet better is it's just it's just a driving force and so that's just it's been the focus throughout my career
0: that's cool that's cool yeah so i know we're, we're leaving some breadcrumbs for the end of the show and i'm going to ask you a question about the advice mm-hmm. you'd give your 22 year old self so we might weave that mm-hmm. back in so so let's um let's wait there for now. So let's talk about some of these big initiatives, some of these major corporations that are partnering with MIT and this liaison program that you're a part of. So what are some of those, you mentioned cutting edge technologies too, anything that you could share with our audience that uh, they may not be aware of that you're thinking like, this is happening, this is real. Mm -hmm. This I mean, I can't believe cutting edge, like something that uh, might really just shed some light on what you're seeing day to day.
1: Day to day, I am incredibly fortunate that I have a super stimulating environment. Uh, I I learn something Mm. new truly every day. Every meeting I have is just something that I'm like, wow. Uh, In some cases, it's it's mind-blowing. So I was having a a meeting with one of our professors in mechanical engineering, and he has uh, some technologies that relate to uh, battery charging, and some of them are induction charging. So from a distance, as opposed to, you know, like when you put your phone on top of a, some kind of surface that charges the phone, right? That, that's induction charging. Um, and um, it can increase in terms of distance. So he was talking about how in the future, and not too distant future, he's already working on technologies where a truck could be a rolling battery that you drive up to. And as you st- as you drive next to this truck, your car gets charged on the move. And uh, it's like, wow, you know, that's, that stuff seems pretty far-fetched. No, 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 it's something we're working on. And, and not only that, before he started talking, he showed us his, uh, a phone. And he's like, okay, so I have this phone here, which has like 3% charge. I'm going to put it on my special charger here. So he explained this truck thing. And then he grabbed the phone again. And he's like, oh, here we are. We're at 100%. In the time that we have this conversation, his phone, I charged, you know, a regular iPhone. had charged from three percent to one hundred percent in a matter of minutes, uh, and you know, these are this is not science fiction. I mean, it was right in front of my my eyes. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like yeah. science fiction. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So how, how did he how did he do that? This, oh, this that, was... that's,
1: that's the that's the technology that he has developed in, in his lab, right? And <laughs> and and, um, and he also showed us some um, some mass spectrometers that are the size of a phone. As well to analyze. Uh, uh, for people who don't know what a mass spectrometer is, it's basically a device that that will break down the material uh, and into its 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 kind of essential components to be able to tell what it's what's in that substance. Um, and so these are usually very expensive and large pieces of machinery. And he has these tiny handheld mass spectrometers. Um, other other I just last week uh, or two weeks ago I was having a conversation about how to generate hydrogen. Uh, from methane in a way that is that is sustainable, that is green. Most of the uh, hydrogen production involves a good amount of energy, and this was a it, it's a it's a novel process taking methane, and uh, ideally, if you have a renewable source of electricity, and then you you get hydrogen and you also get carbon black, which is which is an additive that's used in many other applications. Therefore, you have you the second you start making hydrogen, not only and you sell the hydrogen, but you can also sell the so-called byproduct of carbon black as part of the, uh, of the reaction that, that this, this also novel, uh, very high temperature uh, process is able to, to generate. And, um, and truly, it's, 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 it's amazing to sit at a meeting with one of the, let's say, one of the, the largest oil and energy companies in the world that's saying, we need to be out of this business in a few years. Uh, unheard of, you know,
0: wow. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is uh, this is pretty neat stuff. So I, I think this next question you're going to be uniquely positioned for, right, just based on your background and what you're seeing and living and breathing every day here at, at MIT, I mean, where do you see the industry mm-hmm. heading? And maybe I'll, I'll just put some guardrails on that. When when we think about like energy efficiency within mm-hmm. buildings, right, going back to your ESCO days, from a technology standpoint, just overall big picture, where do you see the, the energy efficiency building efficiency industry heading? So I think you can go a couple of yeah, different right directions. For, and,
1: and, and to preface this, this these comments, there's everybody uh, most people have probably heard that expression of you know reduce, reuse, recycle. And that's where you know energy efficiency is right there at the front, reduce. Right? That's 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 where you know it, that's the lowest uh, hurdle. That, that you can achieve, and, and it can achieve significant savings. So we really, uh, granted there are fantastic technologies out there, but there are many, many, many technologies and strategies and behaviors that can drive down uh, consumption of energy and water significantly with what we already have. So it's, it's, it's not that complex. But in terms of what's, what's what will happen, what is happening, and what, what will happen is we will see increased uh, um, the increased impact of uh, data analytics and artificial intelligence um, to drive the operation of of buildings. And say, for example, a conversation I was having this morning, again, you know, these kind of conversations that you have, talking to a company that is looking to connect all its water treatment facilities and not just connect them you know data in terms of data but connect them in terms of how the data is used analyzed in order to predict the operation of the entire system of water treatment facilities you know one could be let's i don't know i'll use this the, the case of a of uh um you know an, an area of i don't know a few hundred square miles or something that has multiple water treatment facilities where you could actually have them communicate with each other so that they operate very much like a building does, which it decides, Oh, you know, there's a demand charge at this time of the day, you know, there's going to be time of day uh, charges. So let's operate the entire system holistically to reduce the overall consumption of multiple facilities. You know, maybe a, a certain location has a different time of day rate and therefore, you optimize the operation of that facility. And not and, and only that, but you realize, okay, well, this coming weekend is a Memorial Day weekend. And therefore, we are going to ramp down production or ramp up. But, you know, whatever it is that needs to be optimized. And that, that would happen automatically. And I see that happening in building efficiency as well and, and water consumption where you truly, the buildings become smarter and smarter. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's happening now. But I think we'll, we'll we'll get to the point where, where the buildings even self-optimize and uh, just kind of let them gather enough data and they get to know themselves and optimize their own operation.
0: Now, where do you see, anytime I start thinking about artificial intelligence and, and data analytics and all the information that's coming in, you mentioned self-optimization there, where do you weigh in on the security side of things?
1: yeah oh, well that's 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 huge and and um yeah you know, you've we've had these these situations with uh refineries and you know actually you know oil production gas production being hacked, which just happened uh recently and uh the discussion I was having this morning concerned water treatment facilities especially for for drinking water that's another area where, you know you, you hack into that and you uh it you know, can cause havoc. you can wreak havoc can um, either in, introduce uh, biological agents, uh, by, you know, physically hacking it or uh, hack it so that the water treatment is not done properly. And then you start distributing, uh, you know, polluted water, drinking water. You know, So that, that's a form of hacking that, that can have incredibly uh, dangerous uh, uh, repercussions. So, you know, cybersecurity has to be at the heart of everything every every decision, every every system that is that is designed. So you know cybersecurity cannot be an afterthought. It's as much too expensive, it's much too dangerous. Uh, and again, you know, conversation. The, the privilege I have to have conversations with the faculty or some you know top cybersecurity experts and and uh you know they are they they test these things out and, and um they, another Conversation I had maybe uh, two weeks ago with one of our professors who was who was explaining to us how his team has hacked into a car from all kinds of angles for, you know, for the, the pressure sensors on your tires. That's a point of entry. Those are those are wireless transmitters that you can hack into and then get into the vehicle. You have your Bluetooth. You have, you know, these things where we have not considered vehicles before to be a, a, a point point of entry right uh, and, that, and so the same thing applies to a, a building even more so. so you know absolutely the, the, the cybersecurity concerns have to be you know in, 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 taken into consideration from from the very start of any kind of a, a system.
0: Yeah. Now, are you seeing like those types of companies that you guys work with as well? Right. Because you got these high tech, cutting edge organizations that you're working with and partnering with during this in this program. Are you seeing some cybersecurity companies as well that you guys are working with to kind of balance it out?
1: And you're seeing what you're seeing is that more increasingly so many companies are starting to either uh, acquire, adopt or create entire groups that are dedicated to to AI and data analytics, digital transformation, cybersecurity, you know, it's just part of it. Uh, Insurance companies are getting into the game as well in 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 a big way. We have insurance companies that are part of our our, uh, group of member companies because uh, and people may not uh, realize the impact. We, we think of insurance companies as something that you pay your premium and if you have an accident and, or, you, or you have something in your house, they reimburse you. Oh, there's so much data into all the decisions they make and also the, the long-term planning that they do. And so, for example, some people might argue that insurance companies are going to shape the future of building operations. The future of uh, vehicles, um, because think about it. Okay, so Jim, you have this building, um, and um, uh, we have determined I'm, me. I'm I'm the insurance company. I, we have determined that uh, it's kind of uh, poor on the cybersecurity rating that we give buildings. Therefore, your premium is going to be a little higher. Or oh, well, your your building has a very good you know cybersecurity has very good cybersecurity measures. You know what, your your premium is going to be lower. So there's all, all these issues that that the insurance companies can actually drive.
0: Well, it's uh it's scary stuff, but it's not going away, right? So it's like we gotta we gotta be prepared for it. So that's uh super interesting. Well, let's go to the last part of the show here. There's the same four questions that I asked to every guest who comes on. I wanted to start off here and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables?
1: I, I would say, hmm. So my, my daily non-negotiables and life non-negotiables, one of them is, is really to, to be myself. There's, I guess, the question of, of integrity, right? To, 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 you know, if you're silly, if you like to do things in certain ways, well, that's who you are and, and embrace that and do that. You know, so uh, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see I have a kind of a colorful jacket and, and, and I, I was... Uh, uh, debating, oh, should, what picture should I put? And should I put this picture that I had done before? Because it has that kind of crazy jacket. And I was like, well, but that, but that that's me. Uh, why? I'm not a banker. No, I'm not. I'm not I keep putting bankers on, it things. No, no, no. Yeah, but, you know, the traditional suit and tie of, and, and, uh, so of a banker, of a lawyer. Well, that, that's not me. That's not who I am. I should be who I am. And so, therefore, uh, I, ch- I chose a picture that, that reflects that. Um, the way I, I the presentations I make, the way I do my PowerPoints, everything I really try to make it to be me because that's you know that's at, at, at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, you know we were unique and therefore that's that's one of the non-negotiables. Um, and then along with with being able to to maintain uh, a, uh, a a positive outlook, a uh, to be able to reflect on things on even on a daily basis. Um, meditation is a big part for me. Uh, and to even take 10 minutes, um, in the morning or in the afternoon. Um, typically I do it kind of mid afternoon. This is one of the, the routines I typically have. And it's even on my calendar. So every day you see, there's like a little 10 minute slot on my calendar. Um, and you know, Hey, if, if there's a conflict with a, with a meeting, that that's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's not like I'm attached to it, right? As they say, non, non-attachment.
0: Well, that's that's a, then you're negotiating yeah, on it, right? Maybe you got
1: to make that a non-negotiable. Maybe you got to put some harder oh, parameters around sure. that, though. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely, and, <laughs> and and then, uh, but but again, that and that's that's part of this 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 you know being myself and doing the things that that I need to, that sure. I need to I do you. myself before I do anything else for for someone else. So we
0: touched on this earlier. What advice would you give to your 22 year old self?
1: So, uh, and I mentioned Spanish early on, and throughout my career, the ability to speak foreign languages has been invaluable to my advancement. Uh, the second I was out of college, I was sent to work in the Dominican Republic, and I remember telling my boss at the time, "I I, I don't know what I'm. I'm just brand new. I just started here a few weeks ago." And it's like, "Well, you're the one who speaks Spanish, so." go you have to go so um and that's happened over and over again i've had lots of projects in latin america um that that have been you know the ability to speak spanish has been key so i would have told my 22 year old self you know embrace that and leverage that you know don't lose it because it's it's so valuable um so you know kind of these these talents that you have that that are you know that was almost that's a freebie i didn't do anything i just grew up uh, uh, Speaking Spanish, and then I would say the next one would be to to trust trust your gut in in business decisions and personal decisions. Uh, we as humans are incredibly uh, complex, and there's a lot of nonverbal cues that we absorb, and we tend to sometimes neglect those, and and those can be. Um, can be critical to making certain decisions. And I, I know that, uh, um, you know, when I've met people and when I've interviewed people, I've had a clear feeling one way or another, just just the feeling and, and mm-hmm. you know, trusting that I would have told my own, my younger self, you know, make sure you, you pay attention to those cues. And then the other thing I would say to, to my 22 year old self would be, uh, think about investing as opposed to saving, we're always told save money, save money, save money. We really should be taught invest money, invest money, invest money. I mean, that's, that's why Einstein said that compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Um, and so, I I would definitely um, had I paid attention to that very early on, you know, I'm sure even right now I'd be in a, in a, in a better you know, situation financially simply because you know of the power of compounding interest. So. Uh, we don't we don't emphasize this enough to our, to, our, to our young people. yeah, it should be part of the mm-hmm. school curriculum,
0: right? Let me spend time speaking yeah. about that in, in school It's much more valuable than learning about some some obscure you know whatever, <laughs> yeah. right it's it's mm-hmm. an important topic that should get worked in I 100 percent agree with you on that. Next question here is kind of broad brush, but what what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: typically it's a a a, a tangible goal that is and and it's very often related to the the ones that really get me going are the ones that relate to doing something uh for just to simplify it something good right to have a a, a positive outcome to have a net positive uh benefit to 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 the world to the planet to you know my friends to my family but really um I, I would say that everything that uh, that I do has that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, has that uh, that focus on on sustainability. And and so, for example, if I I, I sleep very very well, <laughs> very soundly, but when I have something coming up, like the next day I have this you know some webinar that I'm organizing that's about, you know, I, I just get I'm very excited about it because I just I just know something somebody's going to get something good out of it. There's going to be some positive result out of this. Uh, we're going to be able to maybe you know connect some researchers to to some companies or vice versa, or some startup is going to be able to 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 get an investment from from this company and be able to drive this technology further. So you know having that that um, that uh, anticipation of of something. You know, a net positive result, and in my you know, in my case, of course, given my profession and my background, you know, kind of that that net positive to the planet really gets me going.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. All right, last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be? Uh,
1: I think that's no. That I could say very simply in, in that I've tried to always have a net positive impact, as I, as I was saying, and. You know, granted, I, it's not like I'm a, a Mother Teresa or, or something, you know, some amazing uh, you know, Nobel Prize winner or something like that. Nevertheless, I, I, I think I, I would like that, that my example, if, if, if I leave an example as an example that you know, if, if we all dedicate a piece of what we do to improving the planet, then the planet will just get better so quickly um i have a good friend from school once said when we're talking about just cleaning the kitchen in the house that, that we were living in he said if every if all of us do 101 percent you know we clean the kitchen and a little bit more we shine out the wind shine up the windows or you know something just that little extra something then you know the kitchen is going to look fantastic and it's the same thing in our lives. You know, if we all do, let's say our, our job, we do our duty, we do our hundred percent. That's great. But if we all do that little extra and we all can, then we're certainly going to be in, in very good shape.
0: I love that. I love that. I wish it was that easy, right? Usually it's, uh, it's simple, but it's not easy. That's, that's usually the, the theme on the show here. You hear this great advice is really simple. Like, you know, tangible advice, like, oh, I wish it was that easy. But either way, great stuff. I think that's a perfect way to, uh, to wrap up the show here. So, Jose, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, great. Pleasure to be here, Jim.
0: All right. All right. There you have it. Episode 50 with Jose Ramos. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.